We are going to be in Acts chapter 10, mostly today, and then we'll be landing in, in 11. You may notice that as we go through the book of Acts, we, we have been um, you know, taking big chunks of, of Scripture, and that's because this is a narrative book. And so when we talk about different, um, different passages in Scripture and different books of the Bible, it's important that we know kind of what, what these different books are and why were they written and how were they written and what's the style of them. And so um, Acts is one of those that is, is a narrative um, book. It tells a narrative story. And so that means that it's, it's, not, it's not written the same way that like Galatians or Romans are written, which were written kind of in, as instruction um, to, to the church. And this is written more as an account of it. And so you have passages like today where, um, where the same story is going to be repeated uh, several times. And in the interest of time, I'm not going to um, repeat it every time that, uh, that Peter does or that Luke does as he's recording this. Um, but I am going to uh, just kind of give some, some context to that so that we understand um, hopefully what is happening and, and what, what we can take from this. So as we get started this morning, would you, would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this time. And Lord, we thank you for these baptisms this morning. Thank you, Lord, that we get to not only observe that and celebrate it, but Lord, I pray that we as a church family would feel the weight of caring for those who have been baptized today. That they are our responsibility. That as a church family, we take responsibility for one another. We, we are not merely friends. We are not merely acquaintances. We're not merely people who attend the same service, but we, because of you, we are brothers and sisters. And so, Lord, I pray that uh, we would take seriously that responsibility. And, Lord, that can feel overwhelming, but I pray that you would uh, comfort us and give us strength and equip us for every good work. We know, God, that you will equip us for every work that you have called us to. Lord, I, I just am so thankful that you let us be a part of this. Who are we that we get to see the work of your hands? But because you are gracious and kind, you let us, you give us glimpses of heavenly realms in these earthly places. Lord, help us now to turn our attention to the word, and I pray it would stir in our hearts and move us to live the life of obedience to you that you have called us to. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Acts chapter 10. It's the story of Peter and Cornelius. I'm going to read a little bit, and then we'll talk about it a little bit more, and at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. A devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius, and he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. 
And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two, ser- two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. So now remember here, Peter is in Joppa because he's just um, had those two miracles. One where he raised um, a paralyzed man, healed a paralyzed man, and then where he raised... Um, uh, raised Tabitha from the dead. And so um, Peter has already been kind of in these Gentile cities, and now he is staying in Joppa. And while this happens, God gives this um, vision to Cornelius, who is, um, is, he says he fears God, right? Like, and he gives alms, but he is not, he's not a follower of Jesus. He is not aware of, of, of Jesus or of the life, the death, or the resurrection of Jesus. And so God is, is moving. And what we're going to see, part of what we're going to see here in this is God's orchestrating things and how he brings people together and how he is working behind the scenes always um, to rescue his, his children. And so um, we get that first half of the story, Cornelius and his vision, and then it switches gears. And meanwhile, kind of like you know, if you're watching a show, it would be meanwhile in Joppa, um, we have Peter's vision in verse 9. It says, The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. If you're not aware, sixth hour it would be like noon. So it's, it's lunchtime. He's, he's hungry. He wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending being let down by its four corners upon the earth in it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air and there came a voice to him rise peter kill and eat but peter said by no means lord for i have never eaten anything that is common or unclean and the voice came to him again a second time what god has made clean do not call common This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. All right, so what's, what's going on here? When we see this orchestration, God gives this vision to Cornelius. And then, so Cornelius sends his men and just obeys and says, okay, this vision came from God. Like, I want to know what this message is. So he sends his men to go and retrieve Peter. Meanwhile, the next day, Peter receives this vision. And he doesn't understand what this vision is. And like, if you're just reading this for the first time, you might think, I don't understand what that vision is. There's a, there's a sheet. There's all kinds of animals on this sheet. And this voice says, rise, like, get up, kill, and eat. And Peter's response is like, well, no, 
By no means, absolutely not, because it would have been unlawful for a Jew to eat. Some of those animals that were on that sheet would have been considered unclean. And so their dietary laws would have prohibited them from eating it. And so Peter is saying like, no, 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 I would, I would absolutely not do that. I'm not going to kill or eat anything that is unclean. But the voice says, do not call common. Do, do not, like when Peter says, I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. The voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. Now, at first blush, you might think this has something to do with food, and maybe that's what Peter thought. Maybe he's like, oh, I remember Jesus saying something about this. Like, okay, maybe this is just about food, but it says he's perplexed. He's confused. He doesn't understand what this means. By the way, this is often how it works when you feel like the Lord is speaking to you. How often have you prayed, like, God, I just want some clarity. Give me, just give me clarity, Right? And yet, how often in Scripture, God does not work through clarity. He walks through, he works through dependence on him. The funny thing about clarity is, if I had clarity, I don't really need the Holy Spirit. Because what I'm supposed to do is clear. But often, the way God works is through faith. And to say, no, I need you to depend on me. And so that's what he does with Peter. Peter is perplexed. He's confused. And then there's a knock at the door. And he goes down. After he's just had this conversation and he's heard this voice say don't don't call common what i have made clean and this vision of three times of this seeing this unclean he gets a knock at the door and here standing before him are three unclean gentiles and the light bulb goes off aha and all of a sudden peter understands and so he invites them in to be his guests which would not have been lawful and it says, the next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them, and they called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. You know what's interesting about this? I mean, it doesn't, it's not the most... It's not the most heartwarming greeting that Peter could possibly give, right? Like, you know how unlawful it is for me to associate with people as dirty and unclean as you. Well, thank you, Peter. Um, now, please, would you tell us what you have to say? But what Peter's actually saying here is, look, this is all orchestrated by God. You know, like, I'm here out of obedience to God because you know that this is not lawful. This is not normative, and so he's saying, like, why, why have you sent me? Why have you sent for me? See, Peter still doesn't know when he's going. He still doesn't know what he's supposed to do. I find that fascinating, too. Every step of obedience is only greeted with enough light to see that step of obedience. He doesn't see what steps two, three, four are down the line. 
He just knows that God has given him this vision. He has told him to go with these people. He goes with them. He gets there, and he says, now, tell me, why am I here? And Cornelius tells him about the vision that he had. And he said in verse 33, So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So what is God actually doing with this moment in history? The bottom line of what he is doing in this, is, this moment is he, is he is forming a people for himself. He is gathering, he is showing Peter and the rest of the apostles and the church. He says, I am gathering people from every corner of the world, from every tribe, from every tongue. They are now going to be my people. They are not going to be defined by a nation or by an ethnicity or by a socioeconomic status or by anything else. They are going to be defined and bonded together by me. Peter will write about this later in 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, but you are a chosen race, talking to the church, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This idea of the diversity in the body of Christ is something that was unheard of and unseen in, across the globe or across history. Peter is talking to them saying, you were once not a people. You were once like all these people all spread across the globe, but now you are a people. You are God's people. Paul will say it this way in Galatians 3. He says, But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. One of the things that was so striking about the early church. We have talked about this in, in different ways, but the thing, the testimony of that early church was their unity despite their diversity. They were unified. They were a family. They took responsibility for one another. Greeks and Hellenists taking responsibility for Jewish widows and vice versa. The Jewish apostles caring for the Hellenistic widows. People caring for different people in different economic classes, things that the world had never seen before. They're looking at it and saying, why are, you, why are you caring for these widows who are not your own? And the church is saying, but they are our own. They're in Christ. They belong to us. And there's nothing in the world that is as diverse as the people of God through Jesus Christ. Now, we don't feel that way very often, and in fact, within the microcosms of, the, of churches, it hasn't been that way. But if you just gathered together all of the Christians across the world, everyone who is committed to Jesus Christ, if you gathered them together, there is no group of people in the world identified or united under any other banner that would be more diverse than that group of people. 
and our unity together and being bonded under Christ matters. It is a testimony to our God who creates all people in his image, who rescues his children from all corners of the, wor- of the world. And so this is a critical moment in the church. The testimony of the church's unity and love for all people in all nations is brought to the forefront right now, and God is going to bring it about. And the way he brings that about is he starts by confronting Peter and Peter's sin. Because there's an obstacle to the gospel going out to the Gentiles, and it turns out it's the attitude of the apostles. So Peter starts by looking at this as the sheet comes down, and he says, God, I, I'm, I would never eat anything that's unclean. I know the difference between clean and unclean, and that's unclean, and I would not take part in it. And what we see here is, Peter, it's a really interesting um, situation. And actually what it does is it gives us a reminder of Peter. This reminds me of, like, you may see the Peter Pan movie where the person, like, Peter's all old. And I don't know if it's the Robin Williams one or whatever. This is popping into my mind. This is always a good idea to go off track like this. But he's like, he's, he's old. And, and they're saying like, he's Peter Pan, but he's this old guy now. And they're like, that's not you. You're not Peter. Like Peter's like this boyish guy, whatever. And then the little girl like plasters back his face, like to get rid of all the wrinkles. And he goes, she goes, oh, there you are, Peter. And it's this really funny moment. Now I find it not as funny and a little sad now when I look in the mirror and I'm like, Oh, there you are. I remember you. Right? So that's kind of what's happening here with Peter. Like, you know, Peter, we've talked about how much Peter has changed. Like this Peter who was cowardly and didn't know what was going on, all of a sudden is bold and sharing the gospel and understanding everything. And that Peter who like, who just would say like when Jesus said, hey, I'm going to go and die. And Peter says, no way, we're not letting that happen. Like that Peter is a distant memory, except he's not. He's right here. He's still here. Like, Peter doesn't say, uh, hey, I, I, look, I've learned a lot, so I'm just curious. What do you mean? Like, these seem unclean. I'm not sure what's going on here. He says, no, by no means. I'm not, I'm not doing that. And what we see is that Peter, though made new, though indwelled by the Holy Spirit, though equipped to do incredible works and preach incredible messages and have incredible bravery and courage, he still sometimes forgets who he is in Christ. And so will we. And it should actually be strangely comforting to see that, to see that Peter still hasn't arrived. And that should give us a lot of freedom and grace for one another and to receive grace from God and humility to know we haven't either. There's things that Peter did not know yet, did not understand. Things that seemed obvious to him that were not true. Peter's not finished. And neither are we. Right? We, we, just, we get so set in these things where we're like, well, we just know the best way to do this. And we just know for sure what this means. And we just know. Like, and, we, and we do this for all kinds of things, important things. Admittedly important things, but we just have such a a confidence that then goes into arrogance that we have fully settled this issue and that nobody can tell us anything different. And that's where Peter is on this issue of clean and unclean. But the question is, what if you're wrong? 
Like, what if Peter had said to the response in the vision, like, no, 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 I just cannot get past this. I cannot eat with the unclean Gentiles. Like, oh, maybe, maybe he could have compromised with God. Like, hey, I'll preach the gospel from outside, but I'm not, like, going in and eating with them. Like, that's just, that's just going to look terrible. It's a bad look, God. It's unclean. I'm not going to be made unclean like that. Peter, an apostle, is not finished. He's still learning. You might say, well, they were learning a lot of stuff. They're figuring all this stuff out. And now we have God's word, like the completed, like completed canon of God's word. And so now we have all we need. Now I can really look at this and just be super confident in every understanding of every social issue. Really? Like, can we look at church history and say, man, it seems that people's confidence in God's word is really like, that's, that's bulletproof. I mean, in the 1500s, some of the reformers were convinced biblically that the best way to deal with wrong views of baptism, like ours, according to them, was to drown people in mockery. He said, you want to be immersed? We'll immerse you. And they would kill people. In the 1800s, pastor after pastor who believed in the authority of Scripture defended slavery as biblical. In the 1900s, pastor after pastor defended the ban on interracial marriage as biblical. In the early 2000s, as late as the early 2000s, in my lifetime, one of the saddest things I saw in the evangelical church that we, where we um, were so convinced biblically was our response to the AIDS crisis in Africa. Do you know that in the 90s, it was widely held in most evangelical churches that we could not help those struggling and those battling for their lives because of AIDS in Africa because it would look like we condone homosexuality. And we stood there and said, well, yeah, I know that eight-year-old is dying, but I can't have anybody think that I condone homosexuality, so we're not going to help. We were convinced of it. In some parts of the world today, pastors who believe fully in Scripture are positive that you can have an affair with somebody as long as that woman is not a member of your own church. Imagine all the things that we are so sure of. We are totally comfortable when you look, talk to those pastors and they look at us and they don't understand how we are so comfortable with the rampant consumerism and extreme wealth in suburban American churches while churches even in poorer areas in our communities, in our counties, in our states are struggling to survive, let alone churches across the globe. The point of all of this is not to say like, okay, well, we should feel badly about all of these different things. The point is that we need to be humble to be corrected by the Holy Spirit. God's word does not change. God's word is inerrant. God's word is infallible. I am not. You are not. That basic understanding is what allows Peter to experience what he experienced. 
Every generation has its own blind spots. And our insistence that we have no blind spots makes us all fools. I have a son who is driving right now. Just a little terrifying. Don't tell him I said this, but he's actually doing a really great job. Got to keep him humble. Um, But one of the things that when you're teaching somebody to drive, right, is you have to convince them that something that they can't see is actually there and could be a threat. And that is very difficult to explain to a teenager, right? It's very difficult to explain, like, as they're turning lanes and they look in their mirror and they see, like, they're, they're good. There's nothing there. And what their brain is doing, and I remember my brain doing this, is I can't see that car there, therefore it does not exist. Now, is that good logic? No, of course not. I mean, how many times have you driven, maybe today on the way to church, have you driven and you've been like driving along in a multi-lane and you see someone start to switch lanes and there's a car there and you see it, but they don't. And imagine if you could radio up to them and say, watch out, there's a, there's a car in your blind spot there, there's a car right behind you. And they say, no, there's not, I can't see it. That'd be kind of frustrating, wouldn't it? Now, fortunately, I'm the instructor and my son is, so I see all the things, right? <laughs> a few months ago, I was riding with my dad, who was a driver's ed instructor, which let me tell you is amazing to have a dad as a driver's ed instructor. But um, he, we were riding along and my dad was like, uh, what's that noise? And I was like, what noise? Now, my dad hears every noise in a vehicle. I hear no noises in a vehicle. Like, I'm like, I think everything's the engine. I'm like, what's running? That's what it's supposed to do. So whatever the sound is. And he's like, no, 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 that's some, something's wrong with your wheels. And I'm like, there's no, it's fine. It's fine. Like, it's, it's fine, Dad. And he's like, no, no, you need to get that checked out. And, you know, because I'm a godly son and I honor my father, I go and take it to the mechanic. Because my dad said, one of the things my dad said, he's like, you don't know, like, your wheel could just fall off. Okay, Dad. I'm sure that's going to happen. Now, why don't I think that can happen? Because it's never happened. My whole evidence of why that can't ever happen is I've never seen that happen and I have never had that happen. Therefore, it is impossible to have happen. But out of just, you know, kindness, my kind heart, I go and I take it in the mechanic. I drive him around until we hear the noise, which took a while, which was a fun ride. And I'm like, we're, we're staying in here until we hear the noise. And so we did. We hear the noise. They take it back. They fix it. I, I, I come back to pick it up. And... Uh, my mechanic says, you know, it's a good thing you had that fixed. I mean, your, your wheel was set to come off at any moment. <laughs> and I said, we will never speak of this to anyone. <laughs> so don't tell my dad. He still doesn't know this. All right. So look, what's going on there? I couldn't possibly, because of my experience, because of what I had seen, I could not possibly fathom that something was going on in the vehicle that I, that I, that I had no experience of, couldn't see, didn't know. That's called a blind spot. The view, the belief that because I don't see it, I haven't seen it, I can't imagine it, means it doesn't exist. We all know based on the fact that there are millions and upon millions upon millions of people who do not know the gospel of Jesus Christ. That they think, because I don't, because I can't see God, 
because I've never had any experience with him. I don't, I don't know because I know him. Because I don't believe in him, he doesn't exist. And we look at that and we say, that's so foolish. Like we're so small. We're so minute. We're like so like, like our lives are like a vapor, a mist. Like how in the world could you possibly be so confident that God doesn't exist? Just because you, just because of what you think or how you see the world. This is so critical that we as a church understand that part of the way that God forms the family of God in unity is that he tears down those walls and those barriers that are often built up because we refuse to see things that we can't see. We refuse to hear or listen to anything that does not line up with our own view, our own experience. If you asked Peter earlier that day if there was a problem with the spread of the gospel, if you would have said to Peter before he got that vision, like, Peter, is there, is there like a big, is there a big bottleneck here? Is there a big obstacle to the gospel going out to the ends of the earth? Peter probably would have said, what are you talking about? I've seen thousands of people come to Christ. I've seen all these people's lives changed. I've seen the church formed. I've seen miracles. I literally just raised somebody from the dead. Of course there's nothing. But he had a blind spot. A massive one. And God in his kindness showing him. Now you might think, okay, well look, if I, have a, if I fall into a trance and I see a vision, well then I, I might believe something. But I would just submit that's, that's not typical to how God communicates with his people. I'm not saying it can't happen. I'm not saying it hasn't happened. I'm just saying like the norm though is like just even in being in God's word and being soft and open to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Not cutting off. Like if you've ever heard something, you thought, man, I, I feel like I should listen to that and hear that. But like, nope. No, because I know this is the way. I know this is what I'm supposed to think about that. So I'm not, I'm not hearing that. Like, that's dangerous for us. The Holy Spirit is constantly illuminating our hearts to blind spots that we might have. And one of those big blind spots is just how we look at people and how we are by human nature designed and wired to see things from our point of view and bond more closely with people who see things from our point of view and have our experiences, have similar upbringings and similar lifestyles and similar experiences. But the problem with always trusting those voices the most is that that, that experience becomes the only one that we hear. And we convince ourselves, like a bunch of people sitting in the same car in the same seat, that, well, because all ten of us sitting in the seat also don't see that car, it doesn't exist. But it does. And Peter needed to see that. And I think one of the practical applications that we have to take from this is what group of people do you look at and do you judge? And do you see as common or unclean? What, what political party, what other church, what about you're driving by the bars on Saturday night? What about when you're driving by the prison? What about when you read 
a story about just the depravity of man and you see brokenness in the world? What do you look at and you say, oh, those people. And when that happens, do you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit? What do you mean, those people? What do you mean by that? Do you mean common or unclean? Why would you call common what I have made clean? Now, what he's talking about here is not salvation, and that's critical to understand. He's just talking about the Imago Dei, the image of God. And Peter realizes, because he says, like, God has shown me I should not call any person unclean or common. As C.S. Lewis has said, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Every human being is made in the image of God. And they are living their lives. And they are driving down this road. And they see things that you don't see. And you see things that they don't see. And if we want to see a movement here among God's people, then we have to confront all of those attitudes. And we have to be willing to hear the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I mean, ask yourself, what if, what if God called you to stand with, with Christian brothers who, instead of baptizing like this, baptize infants or speak in tongues? Would you say, like, by no means, I will not associate because I, I hold to biblical truth? What if God called you to stand with, with Christian brothers and sisters at a Black Lives Matter march? Would you respond, by no means? They're, that's socialist. And they have agendas that are unclean. And so no, I, I cannot associate. Or would you go and stand with people and go to the bars on a Saturday night and stand there and love people? Or would you say, no, 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 I can't, I can't be associated? We have never interacted with an ordinary person. Every human being made in the image of God. And all of us unclean until God makes us clean. Because Jesus became unclean so we might become clean. And God is forming his people, his family, his covenant people from all corners of the globe. And we get to be a part of that. I just sense that we are in this place where we have to tear down those barriers. One of the easiest ways that we can do that is like we talk about all the time from James 1.19. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Let's listen. I still struggle with hearing this from other people, like just hearing people's stories. When we talk about that, that's not just some like phrase we use. Like, I want to hear your story because I don't know from your point of view, like how your life has unfolded. Carol sharing her story matters. And what she has seen, she understands something about suffering that maybe you and I don't quite grasp. She's able to acknowledge, like, I was angry at God, and now I see that as a blessing. 
We only get that when we listen. But the key here is in what Peter does and how he responds. Because the bonding doesn't happen in the listening. Notice, so now when he goes to Cornelius, and Cornelius says, um, like, okay, well, you, we, we sent for you. Now tell us what you have to say. Peter now looking at him going, oh, okay, I guess I'm on. Which, by the way, is yet another example of when later he writes in 1 Peter 3.15, always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that is in you. Like that comes from real life experiences. How many times has Peter just been thrown onto a stage and they're like, all right, Peter, what do you have to say? And he's like, uh, all right, well. And what does he go to every time? Life, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is what's so great about this. Peter realizes now God is saying, don't call any person unclean. I am saving people from every ethnic background, every socioeconomic class, every corner of the world, everything, every person that you don't understand or you thought was beneath you or was different than you. Like I'm saving them. They're becoming a family. And then, so Peter gets into that place and then Cornelius says, hey, so tell us what you have to say. And look what he says. Peter opens his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. So he leads with, hey, let me just tell you what God's teaching me right now. Isn't that fascinating? The apostle, Peter, who walked with Jesus, Jewish follower of Jesus, like he's like the top rung of the social standing. It, what would have, when people were trying to separate people in the church, he's like on the top rung of the ladder. And he goes to Cornelius, someone that he just, uh, you know, a day earlier thought was unclean. And now he looks at him and he leads with, God is teaching me this. Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. But then what does he say? He doesn't say, and now I know that the message is that we should just accept everybody's differences and we just need to coexist together. Now, I even made a little bumper sticker. It says, coexist on it, and now there'll be peace in the world. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, like, ah, I understood. Now, the key to utopia is that we just live and let live. Oh, the key to this is just understanding if we just get rid of some of our prejudices, then we'll be saved. No, what he says is, okay, I've been learning some things. God shows me he doesn't show any partiality. So here you go. This is the message that saves. And he talks about the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Like, don't you see the combination of this? Peter being confronted to see what he can't see and understanding things and being humble to realize, to be corrected even as far as he had come, knowing that he's not finished and he listens and he hears and then he's still watching as he's perplexed and he goes with them and he walks in and he's like, look, I'm in strange ground right now. I'm not really sure how I should deal with this. And then now you're asking me to speak. And so he leads with that humility and he says, well, here's what I do know. I know Jesus Christ lived and he died and he rose again and that anyone who calls on his name will be saved. And I know now he doesn't show any partiality. Listen, you'll hear us talk a lot about the importance of caring for orphans. We, we love that. We love caring for orphans. We think it's critical because God says it's attached to the gospel, like it's, it is a picture of the gospel. 
but caring for orphans will not save you and will not make you right with God. It will not solve all the world's problems. Robbie mentioned a stat last week that if every church in America just took one foster kid in, then we would have no foster kids. That should convict us. That should make us, that should inspire us to want to participate. We should also remember that even if we did that, it would not make all things right. Just laws will not save this world and eradicate racism. But we care about those things because God cares about them. And we declare the God who comes is coming to judge the living and the dead. And so when Peter has the opportunity, he doesn't spend all his time talking about all the worldly stuff in that. He says, okay, great. I'm hearing you. I see you. I now, I've repented of my judgment towards you. I've repented of these attitudes toward you. God has been teaching me. And now I'm going to offer you the message that I have, which is Jesus lived. He died. He rose again. The gospel is the power of God to save. And that's what bonds us together and forms our unity. So the unity of the church is critical, and it is critical that we're bonded around the gospel. That was what was so exciting when I came in here the first day that we worshiped in here, not distanced anymore, no masks inside. And the first thing that struck me was how loud everybody was singing. And it was so encouraging and so stirring. But then the second thing that happened was I looked around And specifically, when it came to the pandemic, I looked around, and what I saw, I saw people who were very pro-mask, and people who were very anti-mask, and people who had been vaccinated, and people who were, there's no way they were getting vaccinated, and people who had one candidate sign in their front yard, and other people who I knew had a different candidate sign in their front yard. And what I loved about that was I realized the only thing that we all have in common is Jesus. And I thanked God that he preserved our unity around Jesus. Because if we had gotten, if we had preserved our unity by just chasing off all those crazy maskers, get rid of them all, then then we can really be pure, we wouldn't be united around Christ. Or if we chased off all those crazy anti-maskers, like all those people, you can't believe they won't wear a mask. We got rid of all those people and all those people that have that certain sign in the yard. We got rid of all of them and now we can really pursue God together. We wouldn't be united around Jesus. What Peter understands here is what we need to learn, which is the only thing that saves, the only thing that redeems, the only thing that will truly unify is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is what has the power to make all things right. And it's confirmed in the Holy Spirit. And I just, I just love this. I'll just read this. We'll wrap up with this. In verse 44, it says, While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. When the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. By the way, you know we're Gentiles, Right? Like pretty much everybody in here. So you read things like that, and you're like, oh, even on us? Yes, even on us. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people 
who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Notice that when he does that, Peter doesn't say, like, he doesn't preach all of that and then give them a doctrinal quiz. He doesn't say, okay, I just want to make sure you understand all of these points, and then I'll know for sure that we're good. No, the evidence is the Holy Spirit. And more and more, as I get older and older, that's what I look for. I, people used to ask me for like books to recommend or pastors to recommend or whatever, and I used to always go down the line of doctrinal beliefs. Do they hold all of these things? Now, doctrine is still really important, but the first, the first category that I look at is who exudes the fruit of the Spirit. Like who looks and sounds like the Spirit? Now, looking and sounding like the Spirit means also speaking truth, but it means the fruit of the Spirit and kindness and gentleness and love. And for too long in the evangelical church, we have reduced Christianity to a set of principles and doctrinal positions. And we divide over those. Imagine if we did what the early church did and identified people by the testimony of the Holy Spirit and the fruit in their lives. And then as we identify that and say, you're my brother, then let me, let me instruct you in that. And by the way, as an aside for parents, I just want to give you an encouragement to do this with your kids. It's so tempting, and I fall into this all the time, to try to make sure that they understand all the, the right doctrine and the right beliefs. Yes, teach them that, but look for evidence of the Spirit working in their lives. Look for the fruit of the Spirit. Look for a hunger for God's Word and for obeying Him. Look for a love of their neighbor. Look for transformation in them. Identify that. See that. Celebrate that. And don't rest until you see that. Don't settle for all the right answers without seeing fruit of the Spirit. Pray that God would bring to bear fruit in their lives. And we should do that with one another. And then he celebrates with baptisms. Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people? It's this response to what God has already done. This is why we say this baptism doesn't save you. God's already saved you. Now respond. And Peter sees the evidence. And so he's like, well, then who am I to stand in God's way? Like, who am I to stand in their way? Like, we have water. We see the Spirit on them. Let's baptize them. And I've struggled with that over the years because I, want, I, don't, I don't want false baptisms. Like, it grieves me to hear people say, yeah, I was baptized when I was younger, but I didn't really know what I was doing. I want you to know what you're doing when you get baptized. But I also don't want to put obstacles in your way that are not given by Scripture. And this is one of the clear examples we give that the, the um, requirement to being baptized is evidence of the Holy Spirit. And so who am I to stand in your way to be baptized. And so they do this, and they baptize all the people that believed. And they all lived happily ever after. Now, when the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God, so when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. Can you imagine that? 
Peter's like this huge highlight in his ministry, and they're focused on who he ate with. Like, I feel like, I, I really feel like in the last couple of years, I can relate to Peter on this one. I mean, one time, we, this was years ago, we had video testimonies. And someone had shared a testimony of, like, just transformation of the gospel. Like, just how they had changed, how they had responded in obedience to Jesus, how the Holy Spirit had shaped them and formed them and changed them and made them step out in faith. And how they didn't know what it was going to look like, but how God had blessed that and how God had just changed them. And, like, the whole testimony was, Jesus changed me. And afterwards, someone came up to me, and I was, I was like, on cloud nine. Like, Look at this testimony. It's amazing. And afterwards, somebody came up to me, and I was fully prepared for, like, celebrating with them about the changed life that we had seen. And the response was, that was the most discouraging thing I've ever heard. And I was just so stunned. I was so stunned and so grieved that we stopped sharing testimonies for a while because I got gun shy. I was kind of cowardly but not anymore. Listen, if you believe and preach the radical message of Jesus, people will call you all kinds of things. People even from within the church will call you all kinds of things. You may have heard that we, for example, as a church have gone liberal. If caring about immigrants and our black brothers and sisters and their grief is liberal, well, whatever. But I would encourage you not to buy it because we believe in the authority of God's word. We believe that the message of Jesus Christ, the gospel, the good news that he saves sinners and reconciles them to our Father in heaven, that is the message that saves. But along the way, we say, we know we've got some blind spots, and so we'll listen. And we're going to grieve with people who grieve. We're going to be quick to listen. And we don't have time to go into this, but the apostles and the rest of the church are at this crossroads that Peter is at. But notice how they respond. They respond by when Peter shares the testimony. And he says, like, look, I preached and the Holy Spirit fell on them. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? pretty compelling it says when they heard these things they fell silent and they glorified God saying then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life there is no way like you have to learn from Robbie in church history class and like from other times that like there is no way to sum up how big of a shift that was in the church they heard the testimony, they see the Holy Spirit, they were so in tune, abiding in the Spirit, knowing God's word, they looked at that and they're like, well then I guess this is what God's doing. And the entire course of the church changes to the ends of the earth. So I'm going to have Sarah come up, Robbie, and I just want to give an opportunity today to pray and to respond. And if I've asked you to pray before, I'd love for you to, to come up again. And I just want to give more responses, more time for people, more opportunity for people to respond in these things. But some of you today need to hear the message that, 
that to not call common what God has made clean, to repent of tribalistic attitudes or self-righteous attitudes. May we repent of denying blind spots and to commit to listening. Or maybe you're sitting here and you felt revived in your love for the nations. And this is the day you'll commit to praying for your brothers and sisters across the globe and seeing them as your brothers and sisters and not just merely people who share your religious affiliation, you know, thousands of miles away, but those are your brothers and sisters. Or maybe some of you need to hear that you have been made clean. You are not identified as common or unclean in, in Christ. The Spirit testifies that you belong to God and that Christ has made you clean. And I just ask, what is stopping you from getting baptized? So if you want to, um, and so I want to I wanna have, like, uh, if, if Doug is here, Martin, um, a couple more guys that have come up here and prayed before, and uh, a couple women, I don't know if Donna is sitting in here right now. Um, she was last time, and I, and I missed her. But... Um, Christoph, if you want to come up here, that would be great. Um, yeah, Jess, Leslie. And if you, if you just want to pray with some, somebody, if you want to ask questions, you can come forward and pray anything you want to pray about. But if you want to ask questions about baptism, it's a great time to ask questions. Like maybe you're saying, maybe I want to, but I don't know if today is the day. That's fine. Come forward. We can talk about it. We can answer questions. We can set up a time to meet and talk about it. Maybe you're sitting here and you're like, I was baptized as an infant, but I'm feeling this pull to respond to Jesus in this way. But like, I'm really, I just, that I haven't reconciled that yet. Like, fine, we'll talk about it. We can, like I said, set up a time, we'll meet. If you're sitting there thinking like, I want to get baptized, but I do not have clothes on to get baptized in. We've got robes in the back. Whatever your situation is, can come forward and you can receive prayer. Father, we, we ask for your help and your guidance. Holy Spirit, we can't do anything apart from you. We need you. And right now, God, in this, in this moment, just always so reminded of the weakness of my words, but the power of your word. Lord, I pray that we would be a church that repents, is humbled by the Spirit to listen, and is in humble confidence and boldness like Peter, that we would preach the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. So Lord, I pray during this time, if people would want to receive prayer, they would come forward and say, I don't, they don't have to do this on their own. If brothers and sisters who are here who love them and want to pray over them and pray blessing, pray for deliverance, pray for healing, or maybe somebody is sitting here, God, that wants to get baptized. Lord, I pray that we would be open to that and that we would celebrate that together as a church family. Lord, we just commit this time to you. In Jesus' name, amen.